This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. A um, couple announcements, which I keep forgetting to make, um, but now I'm finally making them. One of them, people keep telling me I have to say the following words and I'm not sure why. Ready? And to say it, not to ask, but to tell them. Follow me on Instagram. <laughs> now all I need is the password and the username. You know, follow me on Instagram, please. It's apparently very important. Facebook, I think, is what our parents use. I mean, do I have to now do something on Instagram now that I've said that? Um, the next thing is we finally got our club website. Yeah, I, I've created a club. It's called Yom Tov Media Club. And, and what's happening is everywhere I go, I'm meeting people who are like you guys, but they're not here locally. They're overseas and they're watching this, this every day. And so uh, many of them really, really watch every single day. And uh, it's been some amazing stories. It's helped a lot of people, a lot of, brought a lot of meaning to people's lives. People raised observant who have now really found inspiration in their, in their lives as observant Jews. And people who were raised not observant who are now observant. And there are people who are raised without even any concept of God. And they finally found out that there is no concept of God. And that's a God they could believe in. And so a lot of my Kabbalistic teachings have kind of given permission to a lot of people to get into God. And once you have God, now you have meaning, and now you have, like, a lot, a lot starts going right when you have God in your life. So, but a lot of people don't have permission to do that, and so they need, they need that Jewish decon, Kabbalistic deconstruction of God. Anyway, so it's been very meaningful for a lot of people, and all these people have enough to support a little bit, um, and some a lot of it, the club, and the club's called the YomTovMediaClub.com, and please uh, click on it, uh, Yom, or type it in, YomTovMediaClub.com, and we're literally, like, the first two people already joined the club, and what we're doing is, like, students, like, college students, whatever, are giving, like, ten bucks, and other people who got more money, you know, like, like, people who are, like, working car washes or something are giving, like, 18 bucks, and it's a recurring, like, um, it's a recurring 18, it's a recurring amount. And what we're doing is we're building it up so that I have an account to do a couple things. For example, a professional video camera with a microphone, a lapel mic, and somebody manning the camera, which is like the number one. It's enough, man. Which is the. N- I don't know what's been going around, but okay, but there's, you don't blow your nose with a full, full uh, shofar, you know. And um, anyway, there's uh, getting these things videoed. Um, I've got at least three books in me, and we've already got most of the first book commissioned just because of this club already, and uh, which is amazing. Um, also, <laughs> social media. I don't, I don't even know what my password is to Instagram. That's got to get taken care of. I basically need someone taking care of all of that and then delegating. Um, then uh, um, web, web work. It's just all this stuff. And it just needs to get done. And we, so a lot of people believe in the message, except the message isn't optimized. And we're going to optimize it finally. So anyone who's been watching my classes, even if you've seen 10 of them, you know, come in at some amount. It's a set and forget. I myself set and forget for several people out there. I Meaning I have 36 bucks a month. I did it 10 years ago. I get a phone call once in a while when my credit card changes saying, uh, you know, your credit card changed and uh, can you give us a new card for such and such a rabbi? I'm like, I did what? I've been given 36 bucks a month. Well, that explains everything. You know, but I, and I give him the card again because I believe in him. I believe he's making a difference and I want to be there and, and support whatever he's doing. So I finally have my own set and forget. And I'm like the Energizer rabbit. Energizing bunny? Energizing bunny. I'm like, I'm moving, man. I don't, I don't sit for a minute. I'm, I'm pumping it out as hard as I can. And we're going we're gonna to make a big difference with this. And, uh, and save Claudia's soul. You know, like, like we gotta, we got to save our people. And 
institutionally, I'm starting to lose faith a little bit that institutions are going to pull this off. But, uh, but I believe there's certain individuals who have the language to articulate what's really touching people today in a way that moves them. And, and we got, we got to help, help the world, you know? Um, I started singing. I, I mean, I was about to sing an earth, wind and fire. <laughs> you can't do that anymore. You're, du- you're cut off. I was waiting for you to take a sip of water, but you put it down. It, we're done with that. Okay. <laughs> I tell you, we can touch the world. When we think about their needs, we can touch them where they are. Help them to believe. Touch the world. Anyway, there's a boy out there, strung out on crack. It's going to take all we can do to bring that dear boy back. So we got to touch this world. In a big way. So either you touch it or help me touch it. But we're all going to touch the world. <laughs> you know, and so I'm, I'm just, I'm going to go as big as I can on this. And I'm also at the same time training other people. Like I'm literally like scanning my audience for like who to, who to teach how to do what I'm doing so that I can move on one day and, you know, like, and know there's someone else making that difference. There's a couple, couple great people already out there, and we got to get some more. And the funniest thing is we're all that great. And the, just the difference is, is I believe it. <laughs> and the only reason I believe it in myself is because I went through such hell with negative voices in my head till I was literally like, I, I can't. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. Of all the people I see all year to help them, many one-on-ones, I still outdo all of them in being in the dumps of where I was at. Especially when I was a young man, as a, as a you know, between 18 and 23, you could call me clinically depressed, social anxiety on the highest level. Uh, my social anxiety went all the way after I got married till I was 33, until they were going to finally remove my colon, because social anxiety hits the colon, and that's like, it was literally killing me, like I couldn't even eat anymore. I'm telling you, the people I work with, no one, no, it's still rare, once a year I find someone as bad off as I was. Until I finally realized that God doesn't create garbage and that I'm really amazing. And, and ever since then, I've been helping other people realize how amazing they are. And that's why, really, I'm touching so many people is because I think people are getting how awesome they are out of these classes. Anyway, so that was a very long plug to join the club. And uh, I really hope everyone joins the club, even for the slightest amount just to join the club, but obviously you can pick it up from there. And people giving big money will get access to me like no one else. So, and then I can write business receipts. And so they can actually, meaning it's not a tax deductible, but it's a business receipt, same thing. You still get your receipt, you, it's, a, it's a business expense. And I'm doing a lot of corporate training these days. I'm training um, corporate uh, seminars, and I'm also doing corporate speaking, but most importantly, I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, I mean, this week alone, I'm, I've got three different, uh, you know, heavy-duty corporate people that I'm coaching them, and so they so join the club and get your free corporate coaching, so to speak, free, <laughs> kind of free, but help help us create a staff because I have right now zero staff, except for obviously someone like a manager just managing business stuff, but. But she doesn't know the first thing about, you know, social media and all that. She's she's got a kosher phone. No offense to kosher phones, obviously. I love kosher phones, you know, as long as they're owned by people with a porn addiction. L'chaim. So join the club, yomtovmediaclub.com. What's what's the address, everybody? Yomtovmediaclub.com. Everyone say it once. YomtoMediaClub.com, yeah. So today what we're going to discuss is, um, is how we mess ourselves up with Hashkafa. Hashkafa is one of the most dangerous things that you could ever have. And you got to really watch out for Hashkafa. Okay? Hashkafa can destroy lives. And I'll give you a few examples just to begin with. Um, what I mean by that. Oh, by the way, I'm not talking about like Torah Hashkafa. That's not what I'm referring to. I mean, that could also destroy your life, but uh, meaning if you've got the wrong Ashkafa for your Neshama, you're in big trouble. That's not what I'm referring to. What does that mean? 
your neshama? You know, like, uh, let's say you have, uh, ladies, can you find a, like a, can you find a better place for your seats besides the entry? Can you bring your seats in? You really, we haven't even really started yet. You're, you're like trying not to bother anybody, but. <laughs> so, a messed up Torah hashkafa would be like, what do you do? What do you do when you have a really strong hashkafa? Like, let's say a strong Hasidic hashkafa, or a strong Litvish hashkafa, whatever like that. And. What's this called? A worldview, but a custom, like your your a tradition that comes with a lot of uh, worldview. Like, like if you strip Judaism worldview, what do you get? You get you get Torah, mitzvahs, halacha, holidays. You know, if you strip it of hashkafa, but if you add all the hashkafa, then you have the the whole tradition, everything that comes with, you know, and um, hashkafa is just um, seeing things in a way that's unique to that tra- tra- that tradition. So, for example, Hasidim have a which is a lot mellower than the Litvish Hashkafa. Yeah, the Hasidic Hashkafa is a little more um, chill than the Litvish Hashkafa. But then you got, like, some Hasidic Hashkafa that's very intense, like very gavur, uh, very uh, strict. Hasidic Hashkafa. And... Um, Anyway, so that can be great for you. But the problem is, what do you do if you have eight kids and one of your kids is just the opposite of that hashkafa, just by nature? For example, I know a Litvish family in Yerushalayim. They have seven kids. And one of their, they're very, very, very Israeli Litvish. I don't know if you know what that is. But I don't know what I'm still trying to figure it out myself. So they're Israeli Litvish. It's extremely strict. It makes Hasidim look like Goyim. Okay. Now the now they, but they have one son who's clearly a chassid, which means he's just get he's just a round peg in a square hole. He's getting squeezed all the time. So I always tell them when I'm visiting the family, when I go over to the house, I always say, "This one's mine. This one's mine." Ever since a little kid, this one's mine. Yeah, meaning I could I could take good care of a kid like this. Now I have a kid in my family, who's who's in this you know very. Kabbalistic Hasidic family that's you know our family's like super hybrid style and but I have a kid who's super like in the box like very strict definitions of reality and he would do much better in that family so I don't think we're gonna kid swap between the two families but I certainly like I'm very loose with that kid loose about him being tight if he needs to be if he needs everything real tight he should have that. And I'm not going to, like, mess him up and try to make him loose where he's tight and, and let him be who he is. And that's what we learn about, in general, that's what we learn about, about t- education, is you always educate according to the child, not according to you. But how many people do that? Most people educate according to the, the parents try to create their child in their own image. Remember, we're created in the image of God? Yeah, well, our parents try to create us in their image. And which may work for some kids. I mean, after all, they're from your genetic pool. But just because they're from your genetic pool has nothing to do with your tradition. Because you could have a tradition that just has to do with the European town you were once living in. And so now you guys, it wasn't really you. It's not really your wife. And now you're raising kids in that tradition. And what if it's not one of the kids? So you're going to push him until he's dropping things. And anyway, these types of things, these hashkafek or minhag traditions are not Torah mitzvahs. So they are a bit of the bathwater compared to the baby because the baby is the mitzvahs and the halachas. And the bathwater is these customs and these ways of looking at things. But what happens is the, if the kid feels pushed out of shape enough, he'll throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so next thing you know, the kid's not doing the mitzvahs nor the customs. And so it's also important when you raise children to make sure the customs are distinguished from the actual mitzvahs so that you're not blurring the difference between the actual, you know, the, the real stuff versus the, versus the stuff that's, that's uh, you know, it's traditions from a particular town, and we certainly want to honor tradition. I'm really in honoring tradition, like big time. You know, like, for example, um, I suggest you don't eat the ends of challah 
cut off the ends of the challah and don't eat them if your father didn't, even though it doesn't really mean anything and it, and it's it's not really necessarily uh, true that it causes forgetfulness or anything like that, but uh, or anything else people probably made up that it means. But I personally think that someone who found out that it was a babamaiser, a babamaiser to to cut off the ends of challah, I believe that if their father did, they should. And only in that, who are we to switch things around? So if it's, if it's no difference to you, keep what your parents did. If it is a difference and it's pushing you out of shape, so you need to have a deep conversation with your parents that it makes you want to drop everything. And I don't want to drop everything because I want to be, live a life that's true and meaningful and, and aligned with reality. I don't want to break with reality. I just want to get healthy. I want to feel that I've got some oxygen around me, that my wings can flap. I just need to flap my wings a bit. And, but I don't want to drop reality. I definitely don't want that. So th- that's Jewish hashkafa. That's Torah hashkafa, to answer your question. And, the, uh, and the, that was Torah hashkafa. But what kind of hashkafas do we develop? What kind of scuffers do we develop? So what you'll notice is this. Listen carefully. Wherever you have dysfunction, there's an amazing tool This will change your life forever. Wherever you have dysfunction, you will create a hushkuffer around it. You'll build your worldview around the dysfunction. Again, wherever you have dysfunction, human beings will build a worldview, which is the word if you're... If you're Hebrew shy, the word is hashkafa. That means worldview. You'll build a hashkafa, a worldview around your dysfunction. That's why people who are ill, for example, meaning people who are constantly ill, will have. They'll eventually build a hashkafa around their their being ill a lot. And people who are often out of money, they have a whole very complex hashkafa around poverty, and they'll they'll turn it into something good. And people who are um, and people who are very wealthy will have a big hushkuff around money and about, around wealth. Um, people who are accident-prone will build a hushkuff around that. People who are, have issues with connection, because think about it. You have flow and you have limit. Everything's flow and limit. I mean, there's nothing that isn't flow and limit. This electricity is flowing into my phone. Sorry to shake the camera. But it's flowing into my phone, but it's being limited at... at uh, I mean, from the wall, it's at 220. I doubt it's hitting my phone at 220 or my phone would be smoking right now. But um, it's got some kind of transformer down there that's sending it. Does anyone know how much energy hits a, hits a phone down these cables? Five volts. Five volts? Okay. It's hitting my phone at five volts. And, and you understand, it's flowing, but it's limited. Okay, the water's flowing, limited by the cup. Everything's just flowing limited. That's all there is in creation. And the flow is the masculine, the f- and the limit is the feminine. Every single thing is masculine or feminine, or flow and limitation. Like uh, this dude over here has got a longboard, a skateboard, a longboard. And he likes flowing down the street with that, but boy, is he careful with limitations, because there ain't no brakes on that thing. Yeah, st- right. You got brakes on that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you turn the board sideways. Oh, yeah, I mean, you, if you can, I mean, it's kind of a long board. You know. Or you could just lift them back up like this. Yeah, I mean, you're not stopping short if someone sticks their foot out because they're jaywalking while you're ripping down the street. It's not really short. Not that short. <laughs> this is a skateboarder. You're talking to a skateboarder. But this skateboarder broke his wrist last year racing down the street with some idiot. Just like, I'm just jamming down the street and some idiot just jaywalks right into my skateboard. Like, literally, like, like I'm just flying down this hill and this guy... This guy just, I don't know what he was thinking. He just, he just went, oh, like, right into me. And, and I was already passing him, like, but his foot perfectly got under my scare. I took him down, by the way. But I managed to, not purposely, meaning he went down too. And, uh, but I managed, to, I managed to be in a cast about an hour later. So, by the way, that's the last time I skated. I, I decided at my age... I'm done with uh, skating, which is really sad. And it was a brand new, gorgeous board given by the owner of... uh, Selling it? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I have money for a long board, okay? The bike is a different situation. It's a beautiful board. 
It was given to me by the owner, who was one of my graduated high school with me. I met him at my 30-year high school graduation, which was really, really fun. Going to my 30-year, dressed like this. You know, in California, I show up like this. People are like, who the hell are you? And then I'm like, tell them my name, and they're like... I'd probably sell it. My wife would be really happy if those little ankle breakers would get out of our house. You know? Things are flying around my house all the time. Yeah, you got to see the sport. It's a beauty. It's a beauty. Anyway, um, yeah, it was interesting going to my high school graduation, especially explaining to all the, the surfer chicks from 30 years ago that they can't touch me. <laughs> I mean, that just drew a little attention. You know, like, like how about a lot of attention the entire night? You know, they would, they would all, like, walk over. They'd bring other girls over and, like, you can't touch him. <laughs> and I'd just be like, it's true, you can't. And they'd, they'd be like, yes, I can. You know, they're a little drunk, you know, and they're, like, showing that they can touch me. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm leaving. And they're like, we won't touch you. you know, I'll just leave, you know. So... <laughs> Anyway, but it was a lot of fun. One of the longer nights of my life. And, uh, and I think we saw the sunrise because, you know, there was the after party and we all just kept partying the whole time. I was a little surprised how hardcore people party, man. Whoa. These people are, you know, in their 40s and they're, you know, they were pulling out stuff that I thought only teenagers pull out at parties. And, and, the, uh, and then, of, of course, of course... As soon as, like, the sun rose, while everyone went to sleep for the rest of the day, me and my 30 years ago best friend jumped on mountain bikes and did a hardcore, like, three-hour ride in the Malibu Mountains. It's just amazing. Like, we are never going to stop. Never. Till till death do us part from from our sports. Yeah, it was a shame. Anyway... We build, we build hashkafas around our dysfunction. That's what we do. Let me just give you an example from lab rats. Okay? Because you'll see lab rats are, are smarter than we are. Okay? So you put a lab rat inside, a, inside a, a box, and you have four long tunnels. Tunnels, you know, one, two, three, four. And you put a piece of cheese on the far right tunnel, which is number four. Now, you put the lab rats inside the tunnels, and the one rat... rat He's going to go up one. That's the closest one. S- doesn't find the cheese. Second one, doesn't find the cheese. Third one, doesn't find the cheese. Fourth one, bingo. Finds the cheese. Put him back in. Which, which tunnel is he going for? Fourth. fourth tunnel. Goes in the fourth tunnel, there's the cheese. Gets it again. Put him in the tie. Where's he going? Fourth tunnel. There he gets it again. Gets it again. Gets it again. Gets it again. And then finally, you remove the cheese from the fourth. You put it in the first. You put him in the, in the, inside the box. Which one's he going for? Number four, he's got good memory, this rat. Goes up number four, and there up number four, he finds no cheese. So he comes in and out a few more times, realizes it's futile. So he goes up number three, no cheese. Number two, no cheese. Number one, bingo, gets the cheese. And now you put him in again, where's he going? Number one. one. That's the way rats work. Human beings... They go up number one, number two, number three, number four, find the cheese. Number four, find the cheese, find the cheese, find the cheese, find the cheese. You move that cheese, number one, you know what the rats do? You know what I mean, sir? You know what people do? <laughs> They're like rats, but the rats are smarter. You know what people do? They pitch a tent in front of where the cheese once was for the next 50 years, telling stories about how the cheese was once there. <laughs> But you all know it's true, and you know you're telling all kinds of stories. And this is, your, this is your special bluff to never grow. Meaning this is your bluff to stay either poor, sick, uh, uh, hurt, lonely, sad, or whatever it is. You create a scuff around it, and now you're stuck. Because you've got a worldview, and human beings and worldviews, they don't part very easily. Human beings and a worldview, whoa. I mean, I don't know how you remove that. You need a crowbar to remove a person from his worldview. So what you realize is you've been, you've been bluffing about all kinds of stuff that have you exactly where you really don't want to be, but you've created a whole worldview around it to perpetuate it. Now, why you do that is a whole different class, which I'm happy to do for you all. Um, it's kind of a little part of my seminar work, which is called the misery comfort zone. 
but you all have a misery comfort zone and we can't just like be miserable, so we have to create a worldview around it. Now, why we have a world, uh, why we have a misery comfort zone, that's a whole class in itself and how you get out of your misery comfort zone. But for us, what we're discussing is how we have built, have we, we've p- basically pitched a tent around the world as we know it. And we're, and we're busy repeating the story to ourselves. It's going to become something that we'll even potentially pass on to our children. And you probably got a lot of your parents' uh, stories. Your parents, uh, the little stories they tell all around, th- the way things just are. You probably are telling the similar stories of your parents. And then there's, of course, raise your hand if you rebelled against the stories of your parents. Anyone here said, that's not my story. Like, no way. Yeah? Well, those of you who rebelled against your parents' stories, I've got scary news for you. That you're, you're an extremely complex person now. Because the truth is you believe their original story. And so, you're, you, meaning until you break through that original story with the proper steps and the proper work that's necessary, that some of you may know now in your life. But it, if you, until you break through, you have to break through their story. Because the truth is you believe their story enough to rebel against it. So if you rebelled against it and put all that energy into the rebellion, if you put all that energy into the rebellion, you must have believed it. It's actually true. And so, so now you got like you got a lot of unpacking to do. You got a lot of unpacking to unpack that uh, trunk with, of all the stories. And some of these stories go down the line for years. Give an example in relationships. In relationships, there is what's required in relationships is a proper balance between flow and structure. Do you recall me a few minutes ago speaking about flow and structure? Yes, flow and Okay, the same thing. I mean, this cup is the structure that holds the flow. Yeah. Flow is masculine. The masculine is the flow. The hell is that? My cup's making sounds when I swish it around. That's really weird. Well, I hope there's nothing in there. Um, yeah, the feminine is structure and the masculine is flow. I don't want to get too graphic here, but, uh, but that's the way it works. Okay? And, but it's absolutely everywhere. I mean, literally, the windows, these windows were molten glass and then were put in a structure. And, and then it became a glass pane. And, uh, and the frame of the windows, the structure that holds the windows. So, so that, frame, that glass frame, the pane it is now, is, is kind of a structure, but it's really a flow when it comes to the hint, the misgaret, uh, how do you say that? The frame. But it's also a window on a hinge, and the hinge has clearly got, got, you know, it's a structure, it's surrounding the pin, and the pin is the masculine, and the, and the hinge itself is the, is the feminine, is the structure that holds it in. But literally every single thing is like that. Even the fabric that's woven on your, that's keeping your body warm right now. And the buttons on my shirt and the plug on my phone. And the, it's just, there's nowhere you'll ever look in your entire life that's not either flow or structure or both going on at the same time. And that's a masculine and a feminine that's, in, that's happening inside all things. Not, there's no such thing as a gender-free object. Now, what's really interesting about English, thank God, is there's no gender for the words. You know, we, we stay, save gender for, like, pronouns. He, she, you know, things like that, which they're getting rid of now these days anyway. But the uh, Hebrew has gender for everything. There's gender in, ev- in everything. Vegetables? The earth is the feminine and the fruit is the masculine. Okay. So, okay. Okay, here we go. Now, everything's flow and structure. Now, what happens when one flow, one's flow gets when one's flow gets damaged, meaning emotionally you get you let yourself your heart go to someone like your father, but your father, it turns out later, your father can't handle that. And he was like, you only realize later that you were getting dissed 
always, meaning he just can't handle intimacy. And so you were constantly getting dissed by your father. You never knew that. And so here your heart was getting broken a million times a day and you never knew it, never understood. Or, you know, or you trusted a teacher and a teacher betrays you. You know, that's, that's exactly like I'm flowing, I'm trusting this teacher. And, and it turns out that teacher just spoke behind my back to my parents and said things about me that I never knew he believed. And now my heart's broken again. If your flow, meaning love, love is flow. Love is flow. And that's structure. And that's limit. And love is flow. And, and that's limit. Well, you we always need that. You always need both. Because, you know, there are appropriate, there's an appropriate amount of flow in every relationship. And an appropriate amount of structure. Like, I would shake your hand, but I'm not going to shake any of the girls' hands. Because it's going to be appropriate amount of flow. But I would probably bow towards the girl, maybe. You know, nice to meet you. Because it would be inappropriate to just say, maybe, nice to meet you. So I'd probably use some body language. A little bit. And so you're always in a balance of flow and structure. And you want to get those things right. But if your flow gets hurt from brokenheartedness, so what happens is you stop flowing. Now, there's several people in this room right now who don't flow properly. There's several people in this room whose flow's been damaged. And so, and I know who you are already, but don't feel self-conscious. The, uh, the, uh, it's not you, so I'll look at you. So there's several people in the room who have had flow damage, flow damage. And that's a real problem because all of us want to be married and we want to raise children and we're going to have to get our flow back because you never limit your flow from your spouse. That's not, that's not an option. You can limit flow from a kid, you know. Kid just did something wrong. You want to limit the flow so that they get a sense of, you know, that you're upset. And then, of course, you want to turn the flow back on because you don't want to damage them. You just want to teach them a lesson, you know, how to behave properly. And, and, but a wife, a husband, I mean, wives punish husbands a lot. Uh, but husbands never punish wives. Which is, you know, there's a lot of double standards in marriage. You know. I was just, I was just with a couple. We were, we were at a meal, and and the, the, the we're with a couple, and the, and she was reminiscing about her gym days. You know, when she was a teenager, she was in gym a lot, and she's like, "Oh, sure, yeah, I was in gym all the time. I went to gym every day. Yeah, my gym guys." My gym guys. Now, I just imagine her husband at the, sh- at the same Shabbos table saying, my gym girls. <laughs> she wouldn't talk to him for three weeks. My gym girls? What was the gym girls line? You know, but she and her gym guys, you know, like that was no problem. Fair game. You understand? So there's a lot of double standards there. But the, uh, so withholding flow from a spouse is, is, is not kosher. It's not kosher. You've got to withhold flow in lots of different relationships, you know. Uh, professional relationships, big withhold of flow. You've got to have professional distance. So you've got a big withhold of flow. Uh, your teacher, withhold flow. You know, at least people with the opposite gender, people with the same gender, you can be fine unless, of course, you're one of those weirdo teachers who needs to withhold flow even with the same gender people. But the, may they all lose their jobs. Sorry, did I just bless them to lose their jobs? <laughs> anyway, I just heard too many weird stories over the years. The Anyway, but it gets damaged. Once it gets damaged, and you can't have a proper intimate relationship. By the way, every relationship you have is intimate. How, how can you have every relationship intimate? The answer is, if you have it tuned, that the flow and the structure are perfect. That's the intimacy of that relationship. That's called an intimate relationship. You understand? There's, there's something called physical intimacy. Physical intimacy is the outer expression of inner connection. That's only to be had with people who it's appropriate to be doing that with. So like a hug might be important with a best friend or a kiss for one's parents or, or a... Uh, um, and obviously, you know, more intense intimacy in marriage, but, but, the, but it's all called intimacy. You want to be someone who's intimate. You want to be an intimate person. 
And the way you do that is you have to heal where flow got hurt and let the flow come because what happens when someone's flow gets hurt, they don't mess with the flow part. What they do is they go to the limit part and bump up, they pump up the volume of the limit. You understand? That's what's going on. They're just pumping up lots of limit. So you'll notice it in their eye contact. You'll notice it. They'll shift their head around when, they, when you're trying to talk to them. You'll notice it with, uh, with, um, No, all I'm talking about is people who flowed and got hurt will up their limit big time. They'll up their limit big time, so there's a lot less flow. But you'll notice that you don't like, no offense to people like that, but you'll notice that you don't like them very much. Those are the people you don't like very much. And the crazy thing is those people are desperate to be liked. They want to be, they want to be connected. They want to have relationships. It's just that they unconsciously don't realize that that. That flow got damaged. They bumped up their limits and to totally inappropriate levels. So they don't even know what's appropriate anymore. They've, meaning they've lost their, their sensitivity. They've lost sophistication of relationship. They're not sophisticated anymore. And that's the way life is. Like anytime, you're, anytime you don't have your limits right, you lose sophistication real quick. So you, you don't even, you lose your intuition. What's appropriate even? And by the way, some of those people will, will often fall hard into into weird expressions of intimacy as a counterfeit for true intimacy which should be had with all people in totally appropriate measure meaning flow and limit but some of those people will do like really stupid stuff especially under the influence of alcohol and and like blow off all their limits and then get themselves hurt again because they that's part of the misery comfort zone which we're not doing today but part of their misery comfort zone would be to to, to, to break their limits uh, kind of in a sab- self-sabotaging way. And then, of course, put them back up again and then get all lonely again and, and mixed up and un- not intimate and not very appreciated to be around. The other way is that limit gets messed up. Uh, limit can get messed up um, through abuse. Abuse is probably one of the best... Uh, Examples of that. That's why people who've been abused once will often will be abused many times over because they just they just they're they don't know where the breaks are, and so they they um, for various reasons they they wind up in trouble over and over again. <coughs> but you'll meet those people, and when you're a normal, healthy individual speaking to someone like that, it's just bizarre. They can't not put on the brakes because their brakes were broken when they were young. They had their brakes broken by, by, you know, someone evil who, you know, took advantage of a, of a vulnerable person. And now their, their, their limits messed up. They don't have proper limits at all. Um, so, so now what got damaged for them was the limit side, meaning we spoke first about the flow person getting damaged, and then they, pop, they bump up their limits to an inappropriate way to the point where they're not really welcome at, you know, at your kiddish because they just bum everybody out. And the, uh, they're just disconnected people. And then you got other people whose their, their, their limits were broken. And then that person's just, you know, uh, you know just a, a disaster, you know, because they, they don't know where any breaks are and they don't trust themselves at all. They've lost all sophistication of, of yes and no, when yes, when not. And they're, and they're just messed up that way. But, but that, that's really not what this class is about. That was just the example. I know all of you are like kind of tripping out on my, la- my last five minutes of class. Um, just because I was giving an example. But what happens is if this stuff happens to somebody, which happens to everybody, the, so then you build a hushkuf around it and then it gets locked in for most people a lifetime. They'll live their whole lives this way. And how many of us, raise your hands if you have parents, uncles, aunts, grandparents or whatever, who have a certain way about them and they're just that way and there's nothing you're ever going to be able to do anything about it. Keep your hands up if you know people in your life who probably, sh- if they had been normal, would have hugged, but can't. they just don't go there. They don't hug. Yeah? And there, there's people like that. And there, I promise you, there's a whole world view backing that up. They got a whole world view around that. Europeans are a good example of, of uh, uh, people who... Um, who survived the war, uh, World War II, are, are a good example of, of people who 
are, are their limits are put way, 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 way up, and that they're often not going to hug anybody. In fact, I just recently had a participant in a seminar in America. Uh, I was running a seminar, and, and we were doing a little hug therapy there for the group. You know, just working on, like, get, getting back the intimacy and you know, being able to hug. So I was, we were doing some hug work. And after the hug work, uh, one, of the, one of the people came up to me afterwards, a very European guy. He never took off his hat or coat the entire time we were together, which is like, I was looking at maybe it got glued on at his bar mitzvah. But you know, this man was, you know, in his 40s. And, and um, anyway, I asked him afterwards. He came up to me afterwards a little giddy after the hug therapy. And he was a little giddy and he's like, just, I can't believe you got me hugging these people. He says, I've never hugged my own children. He's never hugged his own children. Yeah. It's the post-war, man. It was... The flow got damaged. People put the, people put the limit very high, inappropriately high. Now, do you think they built a worldview around that? You bet they built a worldview around that. Yeah, sure. Big time. And so, and so your job based on what the work we've done today is to look at yourself. Where have you painted a picture around your craziness, meaning your dysfunction? Meaning we're, we're all dysfunctional in certain ways. So you want to look at yourself and say, where, you, where are you painting pictures around? Where do you paint the pictures around your dysfunction? You know, the classic, uh, the classic muscle is the famous story about the archer who always hits a bullseye every single time. We all, I think you all heard that one. The archer, he always gets a bullseye. Every single, right in the center, like the right dead center of the bullseye. Even from great distances, like 50 meters away, you know. Like arching it straight into the bullseye every time. So the king wanted to find him, and so they, he sent his men throughout the forest. The king, they find him, they bring him to the king, and the king says... How did you do it? I want you to train my people. I mean, you're the best archer ever. What's your secret? And he says, well, I simply take back the arrow. I fire the arrow at the tree. And then I take my paintbrush and I paint a target around it. (laughs) So this is very much uh, about human nature is is us painting a, painting a picture around what doesn't work in our lives. We can't help but do it. We're philosophical by nature. Human beings are philosophical by nature. And we paint pictures around our dysfunction. So a big key to getting to, your, to, getting to truth and getting to your own health, and your own honesty, and your own... The best word? Authenticity. Like, to be authentic as a person is loosen your grip on your stories that you have... In place, loosen the grip on the picture you painted around things that don't work for you. You want to loosen your grip on that, and and get real there. Another example is uh, uh, you have the um, the the liberal left today. You know the millennial liberal left on campus. I don't know if you know these, these people, but anyway, <laughs> anyone who knows the liberal left on campus, it, you know they're. They're pretty intense, and they're, but the main thing, their main job is to get rid of distinction, get rid of structure, get rid of, get rid of the old archetypes, and get rid of all uh, hierarchy. You know, just get rid of structure, to the point where even gender is not, gender is not binary, gender is just fluid, you know, gender fluid. I just, I just read that Prince, someone and his wife are raising their child gender fluid. I have no idea who, what he's the prince of, but apparently they had a baby. Um, and the baby will be raised gender fluid, okay? Which is like, what is that? I mean, I mean, I think I think the last numbers I heard in like real science is that one percent of people are the people who really um, that you know. I mean, it's obviously doubled in the last ten years, so now it's gotten to one percent of the human population would be someone struggling with like gender issues of you know beyond their anatomy. You know, like just one's regular anatomy would be their gender. And, but meanwhile, this is getting pushed throughout the entire education system. Like, like there's, there is, you know, they're just stripping the world of distinction. That's what they want to do. Why do they want to do that? Why do they want to do that? They want to do that for various reasons, but some of them are very nice reasons. And that is that we should all love each other. We should all get along. 
And if we get rid of all differences, then we have nothing to fight about anymore. We're going to get rid of grades. And we're going to get rid of competition. And we're going to get rid of bullies. And we're going to get rid of masculinity. And we're going to get rid... We're just going to... We're just going to rid the world of all this stuff. I mean, eventually they'll be doing it with guns because that's just the way the world... I understand, but they're not necessarily using force at this point. Um, you just got to be careful if it ever hits law, which is why in Canada everyone went crazy and Jordan Peterson went crazy in, the, in England, in, sorry, in Canada, because they actually made gender neutral pronouns the law. Like, you could lose your job for refusing to call some, some bearded guy named Boris, you know, Samantha, you know. And so the... Anyway, the no, but once you have something in law, that means they get to use force. Once they get to use force, we're in trouble because that means these kind of like these kind of loving ideas get unloving really quick, and people are in danger. No one remember, no one's ever more in danger of those movements than observant Jews. Secular Jews, okay, they'll still be a little anti-Semitic, but observant Jews are the enemy, and they are the enemy because we stand for like the old right. You know, I didn't didn't mean right right wings, meaning the old right of like, what's right, what's wrong. You know, like like lines in the sand, man. There there's distinctions of things. Like what it, what is Torah? Torah is just explaining all the distinctions of the world. And um, what they do is they also want to get rid of God in this whole thing because God obviously creates guilt, and guilt means you know, you know, once you have God, now you got. Bible, once you got Bible, and then you got issues with homosexuality and other things like that, and and it's just like, you, they just want to break all of this stuff down institutionally, like literally from top down, they want to destroy it. And obviously the biggest enemy is anyone who's, who's you know, dedicated to keeping that. A lot of people are on the fence, you know, a lot of people are very wishy-washy out there, but, but if you're like fully observant and committed to that, you are the enemy. And, and you better watch out and move to Israel quickly. Move to Israel quickly. Where, where Israel still, you know, at least we still have like, I mean, we may have a lot of secular Jews, but at least they're Sephardic. You know. The men are men, the women are women, and they're, they're never changing that, man. You know, at least they're Sephardic. So, um, one sec. And the, um, anyway, so, the, so that's what they're out to do. But what is all the pseudoscience behind it? And what is the getting rid of God about? Like, why do you got to do that? Like, what did God do to deserve that? And what is all this stuff? And the answer is, it's hashkafa. They got to paint a picture around the dysfunction. Because if you're going to, if you're, I mean, I, we're speaking in this class so far about us as individuals. But what I'm trying to do is give you an example of how, how people do this in a in a much larger macro societal state where where they're they're creating a narrative now this is called a narrative and a narrative is just painting a picture a worldview around dysfunction the world has has distinctions i mean we already established that every single thing is either floor or structure is it time what time is it thank you very much closing remarks the, we already established that. You know what I think I'm going to do when the class is over? Just go over there. Why, well, you already got a crowd? Yeah, there's enough that might be. I don't know if anybody's going to stay, but just in case you do. It's just easier. I'll have class on the other side, okay? Thanks, son. Okay. Um, anyway, the. Um, so, in a societal level, people are painting those pictures, they're creating those narratives. Now, you may say, well, what about the Torah narrative? How do you know the Torah narrative's true? Check it out. That you got to check out. I suggest you check out every narrative and see if it's one worth having. Now, there are... There are people in the world who know how to, ex to receive questions about the Torah narrative. And, and most of them seem to work at Asia Torah. So you're, you're kind of in the right place geographically. I rarely discuss the Jewish narrative when it comes to, you know, how to handle that. I'm trained in it because I've been at this place for 27 years, but, but a lot of rabbis, including Rabbi Nekemeyer, are very, very good at, at dealing with it. Is this just some story we put around our need for God? 
You understand? Like maybe we just made a narrative and it's some hashkafa we built around our dysfunction of feeling isolated and vulnerable and so we need a God. You know, which is how religions are formed if you think about it. But is Judaism from that? Is that our origin? Is our origin from people making things up because they were feeling vulnerable? So anyway, this is the kind of place where you can test the narrative. Asia Torah is a place where you can test that narrative. And there's plenty of things online, you know, to check out Asia. And, uh, and, but you should know that anyone who wants to destroy the terror narrative online, um, there's two things going on, so you should know. One is they're either using Gentile, um, Gentile uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the, theology. theology. Either they're busting up Gentile theologies, which is like, you don't have to be a genius for that. You know, my, my, my 10-year-old can, can destroy that stuff. I mean, he's my 10-year-old. But certainly anyone's 15-year-old could. And the, uh, so they're either destroying Gentile theology, or here's the other one. You ready for this? If you get to the bottom of those atheist websites that actually do attack Torah more than the Gentile theologies, the, you'll notice that, it's, um, that it's, it's people who are raised observant were very, very smart. Some have written many Sfarim, Sifri Kodesh, and then things went south for them. And the only way they could possibly live with themselves is, is they have to somehow create some pseudo, you know, atheist website to rip other people out. But they, but they, they hold no water. Our rabbis, Rabbi Nekemar included, have, uh, who you're about to hear, Rabbi Zeldman, they've, they've gone in with a fine-tooth comb in those websites. They, they, it's, it's a joke. And you know it's a joke when it's being run by someone who is a tuna bible. Yeah, the guy who was raised in the Hasidic world or the Litvish world, gone, gone, you know, AWOL, and, uh, and now is like, can't live with himself, so he has to make atheist websites to deal, to deal with it. But they, again, they, they also don't have water, but at least they're compelling because they're dealing with our theology as opposed to Gentile theology, which is like, it's not even, it's apples and oranges. Why would anyone, why would anyone Jew have an issue with God based on uh, someone uprooting Gentile theology. So this next class with Rabbi Nekamara is going to be across the hall here in the bigger classroom. And shalom, everybody. Enjoy. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.